Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What's up, football fans? Welcome to the Gagan Pod. I'm joined by Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen as we dissect the biggest stories in football, the FIFA Best Awards, all the postponed games in the Premier League. Where does this stop? It's time for some transfer talk, including Riley McGree and the free transfers all around Europe. Can Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo play together? The stats say they can't. And did Mark Schwarzer really leave Jared Bowen out of his English squad? All that and plenty more coming up right now. What's happening, football fans? Welcome back to another edition of the Gagan Pod. We are safe as a bank today with two world-class goalkeepers, Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen. Join me. No Bridgie pulled out with a hammy in the warm-up, but I think we'll do our best to cover all the latest stories from around the world of football. And gentlemen, we're going to kick it off because this morning, live on Optus Sport, we were showing the FIFA Best Awards as well. It was a last-minute announcement, but I think everyone really paid close attention to this because of the Ballon d'Or and, and I guess all the criticism that that copped. Even here on the Gagan Pod, so we had a keen interest to see what would happen here. Would they choose the same players? Would they be independent and choose something completely different? Schwartzy, Lewandowski wins it. You must be happy with that. Mendy as the best keeper as well. So I feel like it was everything we said here on the Gagan Pod came true. Were you happy with it? First thing I'm going to say, I think that's a bit of a low blow saying that uh, Michael Bridges pulled a hamstring, considering the career that he had and the injury <laughs> list that he's got. Um, but yes, go back to the awards. Uh, most importantly, yes, absolutely delighted because. Of course, Lewandowski should have won it. Should have won the Ballon d'Or, but we're not going to go back there again because we've been there and done that. Um, and uh, fully deserved it. And Mendy, listen, I mean, tight race. Donnarumma, Mendy, um, Manuel Neuer. I can see all the all the reasons why you can give it to any one of them. But Mendy's been absolutely outstanding. I did say at the beginning of the season. It was a massive challenge for him to to live up to the expectation after arriving at the club, doing a remarkable job, um, settling in, in in the Chelsea side, the squad, the goals, so the, the the clean sheets, the performances, to how he would perform this season, and he's just gotten better and better in my opinion, and he's he's really firmly established himself as certainly number one at Chelsea, but also as one of the top keepers in Europe. Tommy, Robert Lewandowski wins the award for the second year running. When we look back in the history books, I mean, I know a lot of people like to talk about, you know, Ballon d'Ors, but to win the FIFA Best Award, Best Player in the Year, two years in a row, is something that hasn't been done by that many players. Does this put him into that legend status as a footballer? No, I think he's, he's already there. You know, he's... Uh... He's a top-class striker. Has, has been for a long time, uh, you know, going way back uh, to his time at Dortmund. Uh, I think it's just because he plays for for Poland internationally. I think it, mm. it sort of it sort of dragged him back a bit. He doesn't play for France. He doesn't play for Italy. So so he's not in the contention for for those honors. But you know, to 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 go into Bayern and 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 be the the star what he, he's been and and obviously you know, beating records left, right and centre. I think uh, he fully deserves it. Uh, and uh, yeah, the Gegenpots uh, fully behind this decision for sure. The, the other thing is, is, well, he doesn't play for Argentina and didn't win the, you know, didn't win the, uh, uh, the, the what do you call it? What do they call it um, in South America? 
Cobb Cobb America, <laughs> that's it. Didn't win the Cobb America. I, lost, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, and therefore, Lewandowski playing for, for Poland, yeah, it's not the same, is it? But I reckon, you know, it's great as well, just in the last week or two, seeing Lewandowski coming out and um, Benzema coming out and saying that if they sign Haaland, I'm off. Both of them have said it. If they sign him, I'm off. So that I, I mean, oh, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. He probably won't go to either of them, but imagine if he did go to one of them and see what happens. Um, it could open the door, obviously, for for either of them. Because imagine the list of teams that would be interested in signing either a Benzema or a Lewandowski. Be 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 so long, be huge. Yeah, it'd be instant impact. It's quite interesting, really, when I look at world football and you look at the headlines every week and it's these veterans scoring every single week, Benzema and Lewandowski. I mean, do you force a player, Tommy, like Erling Haaland into your team because he's a superstar of world football and he's the next best thing, but you've still got players performing at their absolute peak and, and there's been transfer rumours coming out this week that maybe Luis Suarez potentially could be reunited with Steven Gerrard in the Premier League and these, these veteran strikers seem to be getting better with age. Is that the case now for that position? It was for goalkeepers. You guys were not a thing or two about that centre backs and now it seems like that's the case for number nines so, so you're saying we, we played uh, way into our 40s is that <laughs> I think well I mean we, we all know Schwartz has got some records no, when it comes to that but <laughs> yeah no, no I think we both played, played uh, and, and, and could actually uh, underline that uh, rule but yeah no I, I think players do get better with uh, with age um, you know if you can keep your fitness up like, like these players uh, and you still have that little bit of speed um, intuition, positioning, and if you got the right team around you, and I, you, you'll keep scoring goals for for sure. Um, but but going back to the Haaland going in with uh, with one of them, I, I think there's only room for Haaland if he goes to 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 a team. You know, you can't pairing with a, a Ronaldo or you know another big name like Benzema. You know, I think it, it just wouldn't work. They're 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 demanding too much space they're demanding the ball too much they want to score that, that that's what they thrive on and they wouldn't want to give that up so so i i totally get where they're coming from uh, but it'd be interesting now with the contract situation now with harland and everything that's going on at at dortmund and they're them trying to force him to sign a new deal so uh that, that'd be something to follow we're going to talk a little bit more about transfer and contracts particularly and how that's changed in the world of football. That's coming up a bit later on the show. Schwartzy, just to stick with the best awards this morning, there was also, of course, the Pushkas Award given out. And I went to Eric Lamella for that Rabona against Arsenal into the bottom corner. Gorgeous goal, terrific technique. And it got me thinking a little bit. I don't think too many people have arguments with that. We know there's been some controversial ones like the Salah winning Pushkas a few years ago when there was remarkable goals that year because it is fan voted for the majority. But I was wondering, should there be a better... Best save award. I know there are so many saves around the world all the time, but there are also so many goals that could potentially win it. So should there be a best save award going forward? We've got to take it easy, mate. They've only just introduced the best goalkeeper award. Now we're going to bring in another step already, <laughs> best goal award. Jeez, how, how, how best save award? How is that going to work? Um, I mean, people get nosebleeds, mate, when they talk about goalkeepers. Um, yeah, listen, why not? Absolutely. I mean, I think the only thing is, it's just how do you judge it? It's so difficult. I mean, it's like the goal of the year as well. It's so difficult. I mean, goalkeepers today are getting even more theatrical, aren't they? I mean, no one catches the ball anymore. No one. I don't even think a goalkeeper knows how to catch a ball anymore these days. Um, so, yeah, there's certainly a lot of goalkeepers there playing week in, week out. I think think there is a, a save of the season up for grabs, but there isn't right now. So, yeah, listen, I'm, I'm all for it. Go for it. 
Got me thinking about your careers, Tommy. Do you look back and have, because it is hard. You make so many saves throughout it. I hope so anyway. Do you remember those? Do. do you? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, think, I think you did. The, the highlight reels that they cut together here at Optus suggest that you did. Oh, uh, Tommy, do you TV. look back on... Do you look back on one as your greatest save in your career? Has anyone asked you that? I'm sure you've been asked that before. Do you have one that's your best? You know, I, I think it's, uh, and I suppose we'll probably say the same, that you sort of rank them differently. You know, you can say, you know, there, there's, a, there's a save that was probably technically the best save, but then you look at other games where it was maybe not technically your best save, but it came at the right time in, in a huge game. Um, and, you know, I probably value them more. Um, mm. The ones where you know you won the points for, for your team and, uh, and made a huge difference on the day. Um, you know, so again, uh, you know, for me, it, it, you know, the, the save uh, I made in, in the derby against Newcastle, the penalty save laid on, I think, you know, for, for me and for my career was, was massive because, you know, it, it, it cemented me at Sunderland. It, it sort of put my name on, on the map and, and, and we won a huge derby game. So, so those are the saves. It's probably, you know, it wasn't pretty when you look at it, uh, but, you know, it came at the right time. Yeah, that's the one you remember, Schwartzy. You got any of that stand out? I, I have a feeling I'd know which one you say, I, but maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Like, I'm really like Thomas as well. It, it, for me, I, I categorise it as like the most significant save. Yeah, the impact, the biggest impact it's had. What did it? Did it change anything? Did it do anything? And I'm the same. Um, <clears throat> the other bits of certain save you've made or whatever, I leave that to other people to decide whether they thought they were great or not. I, I look at it at most important, and certainly internationally, you know, the two penalty saves. I mean. It, it's for me. It's it's the two lots of two penalty saves. For really in '93 when I played for Australia and made my debut um, in that penalty shootout in the end against Canada, the, the two saves and what that meant and and you know catapulted me into to having a bit of a, a name in Australian football anyway. And it also got a little bit of a notice overseas from it. Um, and then obviously in 2005 against Uruguay. Um, because of the moment, first time qualifying in 32 years, the significance of the of the moment, being part of that squad, and it changed the face of football, full stop in Australia. And, and profiles, the game itself, the interest, all completely changed. Um, when I talk about club football, and it's funny because they, they all kind of, and like Tommy, Tommy said it himself, penalty he saved, you know, for someone against Newcastle. You tend to go back to a save like that. Even though it's not necessarily your best save, like Thomas was saying, it's it's the significance of it, the moment. And for Middlesbrough, you know, last game of the season away at Man City, it was it was like a cup final. We needed to to draw at the very minimum to qualify for for the UEFA Cup the next season. They needed to beat us, so it was it was a single it was a simple playoff, one game against each other um, to see who finished seventh in the Premier League to to qualify for Europe. And obviously that. I made a save against Robbie Fowler, and we won. We we drew the game one all, and and that was the last minute, last two minutes of the game, um, and that meant obviously we went on a run. The next year, made it to Europe. We got a taste of it, made it the following year, and then got to the final. Yeah, well, it seems besides that one, it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of penalties come up as a goalkeeper, and maybe that's just because the the entire world stops and all the eyes are on you, and the strikers always, I guess, or well, the penalty takers always expected to score. So I, th- I think those have to stand out as the biggest moments, right? Schwartz, I wanted to ask you about those two against Uruguay. One of them you went with two hands. One you went with one hand. Now I think most people would think that the second one is more difficult or more of a monumental save. Was it when you look back? Um, no, I think they're equally both important because. They're, they're moments, right? So you make the first save, you're ahead. 
and you're ahead until such time as you miss the next one. And obviously, Dukes was the one that missed that, that, I think, two penalties later, or whatever it was, for like taking for us, which then would have brought it back. They had, obviously, Uruguay had the chance to bring it back to levels. And then the second save sets you up, doesn't it? It sets you up then to go on and win it because it's later on in the penalty shootout and it becomes sudden death. So, yeah, so I set Johnny up to, to get Australia to the World Cup. So he has to thank me. He's thanked me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's basically you gave him that moment yeah. Tommy as you can see you know you guys the Danish you have a lot to sing about at the moment us Aussies sometimes we have to rewind 17 years to find our, our fantastic moment and we keep talking about it so apologies for that but I'm going to go to the Premier League now Tommy we're going to go with Chelsea City which was a huge game on the weekend of course all eyes were on it especially when the North London derby was postponed that became the feature match of the weekend and I guess you could say Chelsea under a fair bit of criticism following that game, although there has been mixed reviews. What did you make of it? And did it just highlight how far ahead Man City are? I think it was a very tight game. Um, you know, I think it, it sort of mirrored uh, the games from last season uh, where Tuchel came out on, on top. And, and uh, you know, it, it just shows at the moment Manchester City are better because they are more efficient. Um, they take their chances uh, and Chelsea didn't. Um, and I know uh, Lukaku has copped uh, deservedly, I think, uh, some criticism after the game because he had two chances um, and, and squandered them. And, and overall, he's, you know, I had a, had a look at the, his statistics as well. You know, uh, rightly so, Tuchel came out and... Um, and and s s send send a shot across the bow uh, to him, uh, especially after that interview he gave as well, when he, you know, where he demanded the system be uh, sort of aligned to to his strengths. So uh, yeah, I think Man City showed that they are the team to beat. They are at at this moment in time better than than Chelsea. Um, and uh, yeah, I think sadly Chelsea are out of that uh, running for for the championship. Schwartzy, firstly, I want to ask you about those comments made about Lukaku, whether you think it's fair, whether you think it's smart for the manager to come out publicly right after the game and speak in that way. And secondly, just the way Chelsea set up. I mean, people love to criticise, I guess, you know, it's just two styles of football. But I guess when you see one style and then you see a defensive style, people like to criticise. But it almost seemed like if those moments go differently, it's a masterstroke, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what happened in the last couple of seasons. or well, certainly last season with Tuchel against Manchester City. I don't think the setup was any different. The difference was personal to a degree up front and and I understand the frustration and and with with the front three I mean Lukaku's obviously been brought in big money huge amounts of money that's what he's there for to score goals so you're going to be criticized when you don't take them let's give Edison some credit as well because it was, it was a fantastic save against uh, Lukaku however still Lukaku's there to score those goals those moments off the back of all the stuff that went on of course, there's going to be... He's an easy target now. I actually think he has lifted his work rate since he came back. I think he actually did put a bit of a shift in against Man City. I think that... And more so than what he's done in the past against the better teams, when he kind of goes a bit missing and his arms get thrown up in the air, I actually think he got his head down a bit more. What he didn't... was that was he wasn't able to do was score goals. The way, the way Man City, uh, Chelsea set up, you know, Pulisic was expected to do a lot more work going back, which then had a detrimental effect for him going forward. I thought Ziyech was way off his game as well. I thought there were two moments, certainly in that first half, Ziyech, two passes he got wrong. One was a really heavy pass through, which Lukaku was through. He would have been onside, he would have been through. 
who's going to know if you're going to score or not. But there are moments that you need to take, certainly against a side like Manchester City. And there was another one where he, he's whipped it in without even really looking up. Lukaku just peels off to try and get to the far post and then the defender cuts it out. So I get it. What Chelsea's missing is that, that cutting edge. Like, like Tommy was saying there, Manchester City have got that cutting edge. They've got the ability to score. They've got someone special in their team. that can. There's, there's a number of players that can create moments, can win games at a drop of a hat. Chelsea had it last season to a degree. They haven't had it this season. It, they, they're, they're flailing with it. They're, they're having an issue with it. And it's clear there's frustration. Um, do I understand why he's at a pop? I was a little bit surprised, actually. The only thing I think he maybe the reason maybe why he had a pop was I don't know if anyone saw it, if you guys saw it. I was at the game, and I, I mean, I know, I know it has been brought up, certainly on social media, the embrace that Lukaku and De Bruyne had on the pitch after the game. And I think it got a lot of okay. Chelsea fans' nose out of joint and possibly the manager's nose out of joint. I don't get it. I don't get that embrace on a football pitch like that because it's certainly a, a, an incident, like a big game, tight game. The guy scored the winner. Do it in the, channel, do it in the tunnel. Do, it, do yeah. it outside the change rooms. Don't do it on the pitch. I, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. Mm, it's so typical of forwards, though, isn't it? It's just always them. It's like they just don't care. You know, you'll never, you won't see a centre half. You won't see Thiago Silva embracing someone at full time. Doesn't matter if it's a Brazilian international. It's always the forwards that feel like it wasn't their fault, isn't that right, Tommy? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no bridges on here. Let's yeah, have a big exactly. uh, You know, they're egoistic. You know, uh, yeah. Now again, they're loners. They just want to score. That's all they focus on. Uh, the rest of us have, have to carry the team. Uh, but no, again, they're, they're the big stars. That's where the, the focus is in, in general. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with Swartzy. I think there's a time and a place for those things. Uh, and you just got to feel the moment. You know, with everything that went on before, he knows he's, he's obviously, uh, he's, he's got the spotlight on him after that interview. And yeah, you know, I, I, and again, I think, Tuchel is sending a, a, just a signal, like that nobody's bigger than the team. You know, you, you know, if if you come out and 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 be that strong in your words, you have to back it up. Uh, and he didn't back it up in this game, and and I think that's what Tuchel is trying to to say between the lines. Mm, very interesting there, Chelsea. Pretty much, you'd say out of the title race now, thirteen points, but Liverpool continue to win without their biggest stars, who are away at the African Cup of Nations. Schwartz. Are they in with a shot still here? Do you still think Liverpool can challenge City right till the end, considering how good they've been without their biggest yep, players? I think they can. Um, I hope they will as well, because you know we don't want it to be a one-horse race. We want it to be you know competition. Um, yeah, if you want that, you'd switch over to the Bundesliga. If well, you want that, whoa, 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 whoa! Listen, <laughs> hey, I mean maybe to League One, uh, or maybe maybe uh, you know La Liga, not the Bundesliga, buddy. It's it's, it's reasonably tight this year. Come on, give it a go. That's- it's been very good. It's been, it's been good been to watch. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I hope I hope it's not going to be a one-horse race. It looks look look. It looks more likely it's going to be. Obviously, it's a two-horse race now. Pretty much not. Chelsea not completely out of it, but they need a, they need a minor miracle to happen for them to be in in the race again. Um, but yeah, I hope Liverpool stay with it. Um, if they can perform like they've performed without their two big guns, then it looks good for them. But you know what? They've still got a couple of weeks to go, haven't they? Before either of them, or maybe, oh, hang on, maybe Salah, maybe Salah will be back very quickly. The way that they've performed so far, you never know. I mean, uh, looks like you know at this rate, Mares will be back to to Manchester City next week, very 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 quickly. Um, so yeah, you know who knows. I mean, the, unfortunate, the unfortunate part of that, that is 
probably uh, Manchester City will be strengthened before anyone else. I know, right? Crazy. I mean, the North African nations, which usually dominate this competition, are struggling early on. It's good to see, though. There's some new, some new faces, some new names. Equatorial Guinea with that huge upset against Algeria. But we'll get to a bit of that later. Tommy, sticking with the Premier League, um, Spurs Arsenal was postponed, and that's that's the the next game we saw. It's it's involved Arsenal a few times and Spurs recently. Spurs feel like they got three games less than some teams, two less than their rivals Arsenal now at this point. And other major leagues like the Bundesliga, we've just mentioned it, have decided to play without fans but play these games because they've got a schedule to stick to. Bayern were depleted massively. We spoke about that last week on the show, and yet still they put a team out there on the park. Is this getting out of hand now? And at what point? Does the Premier League have to put a line through this and say, you've got a big enough squad, you've got a PL2 squad as well, you've just got to play the game? You know, I, I think it, it, it comes back to, to, to the Premier League and, and, you know, at the end of the day, their mistake because, you know, the, the rules were, were clear. You know, it was down on paper, 14 players, you have to play, you know, you can even use your, your youth squad uh, and they have been handing out a few favors, and now everyone is sort of piling in, taking advantage. You know, if you got broken toenails in your squad, you, you know you, you you're trying to apply <laughs> for, you know, for uh, yeah, yeah. They're the, they're they're the, the worst. worst. Um, and 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 and, it's, and it seems like at the moment there's, there's a lot of broken toenails around the place. And 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 again, now I heard this morning again, Burnley has applied again to for, for another postponement. You know, these games have to be played at some stage. So, from my point of view, I think the Premier League has been too soft, um, and and now it's coming back to bite them because it, it's not looking it's not looking good, and they'll they'll have a fixture stack at some point uh, with with European football, you know, getting back on track in in not too too long. Um, it's going to be tough for a lot of teams, and they'll be complaining all the way to the finish. The only thing I would say in defence of the likes of Burnley, whoever it is that have asked these games off, certainly, certainly for, for the smaller teams, they don't have the big squad, right? That is a major disadvantage for these guys to be playing games with, say, 10 first-team, like uh, established first-team players, not necessarily regular, but first-team squad players, and then chucking a whole lot of kids. I mean... It then, I mean, we're talking about survival in the Premier League. We're talking about 150 plus million in revenue uh, just to stay in the league. People's jobs and livelihoods at risk. I'm, I'm, re- I mean, the, the the problem we've got is how do you regulate it? How many COVID cases does it need to be? How many injuries does it need to be? And all sort of that stuff. I know they're talking about the players and the number of players you should be able to fill. Like, uh, I, I just don't, I don't see it being black and white and. I have more of an issue the bigger teams because of the size of the squads they've got and the type of quality of players they've got. Look, Manchester City can play two teams. Chelsea can play two teams. Um, Liverpool... So can Arsenal. Yeah, Liverpool, Arsenal to a degree as well, yeah. But the second team wouldn't be as good because the first team's just okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You know, the, the further you go down the list, yeah, look, yeah. look at Leeds United. Leeds United played three or four games with only eight... Sorry, with eight regular first-team players missing from their side, and they suffered massively. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for those teams and those clubs because that, you know what it's like, Thomas, when you're at that end of the table, when you are mid-table, that end of the table, you're a dogfight and you need to get results, you need your best players. You can do without one or two of them, but you can't do without eight of them. And, and that's, that is like self-destruct. Yeah, but you know, I, I totally, I totally get that side of it, and and the money side, I think, plays a, a huge role. Uh, you know, also, I think, 
you know, when you see some of the bigger clubs, as you said, they've got the squads, they can play two teams, but they're still wielding their power, I think, uh, in, in, in some respect towards the, the Premier League. Um, but, but there needs to be some solution to it. At some point, you've you got to have a cutoff point and, 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 you know, it has to stop now, you know, because otherwise this, this season is not going to be finished. Yeah. Um, Cla- I mean, Claude's mentioned time. there that, like, the, say, for example, other leagues are playing without fans with, you know, and the, guy, the season is just going on. It's got nothing to do with the fans, let's be honest. It hasn't, as in terms no. of, when I, when I say it hasn't got anything to do with the fans, I mean in terms of whether teams have COVID cases or not, right? It, it's the bubble. It's how they're dealing with it. Obviously, within the Premier League, the Premier League clubs have become a lot more relaxed as the restrictions have been lifted in this country, they've all become a lot more relaxed, which is also understandable because they've been in a bubble for a long, long time, right? But they're paying the consequences for it now. And and this is why we're in this predicament. Um, of course, I want as many games to go ahead as possible. I mean, Burnley having another game postponed, how are they going to finish the games? When are they going to finish all the games? Because of all the other competitions that are still to play, the teams they're playing against will possibly be in other competitions playing European football. When will they be able to play it? And then it becomes an unfair advantage on the bigger teams because they've got literally a game every two or three days trying to finish off the season. I get it. It's a major dilemma. But I, there, there has to be... even For me, even if the season gets lengthened for a couple, like a week or two, I don't have a big problem with that. Mm. But eventually, eventually, you're just going to play uh, the games, yes. right? You've got a problem yeah, with that, Tommy? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no, I was just saying the, the lengthening of the season, I think, will be, again, difficult with, with that, you know, World Cup coming up. I think, you know, players would want their, their break. Um, they've they've kind know, of had it. Going into another. They've, they've uh, kind of had it with all the COVID cases. A lot of them are getting it. I know what you mean. You get away from it. You need a break. I get yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I know from, from the fact that like Casper Smeichel and Leicester have obviously had a lot of games over Christmas, New Year. Still, games being cancelled, and and yeah, he he's enjoyed his time in Denmark, Denmark with his family, and and they have had days off. So yes, in in that way, it does uh, benefit some. But on the other hand, it, it's going to come back as a boomerang uh, later on when they have to play all those games. It's a very unique season, Burnley. Now with plenty of games in hand, sitting at the bottom of the table. I guess, as you said, those games are never won. But maybe you can work out the mathematics a bit easier before you play those games, and that could be an advantage. I don't know if you guys have ever been in that situation where you've got to play those games in hand. But I want to, I want to quickly talk about Leeds because Leeds now have put a lot of daylight between themselves and Norwich, who are third bottom. Two wins on the trot in the league, one of them against Burnley. On the weekend, they beat West Ham. And here's a stat for you. Their bench had 55 Premier League appearances total. 54 of them were Rodrigo. So plenty of debutants on that bench. And still they went away and beat West Ham 3-2. Was that a statement to say they're back, they've supported Bielsa, and Leeds will be well and truly safe this season, Schwartz? Um, yeah, listen, I, I think they've got there's certainly the results of late. I mean, I was, I was surprised with the result on the weekend. I was surprised they went to West Ham and won. I mean, Jack Harrison scoring his first ever hat-trick um, at, at that level uh, was, was pretty incredible. I think I think the record as well, I think they've got like, they've given eight teenagers their debut or something this season. Is that right? I think already. Um, yeah. So yeah, listen, full credit to them. They, 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 I talked about the game, you know, when they played with eight first-team players out injured. They didn't have any COVID. I mean, it was the time they played against Arsenal, right? And they lost 3-1, I think it was, or 4-1. And Bielsa was asked after the game. And to his credit, he said, we don't have any COVID cases at the moment. They're injuries. So it's very unfortunate. And the rules are, this is the rules. So we have to accept it and get on with it. He was very, he was very graceful in it. 
but obviously it's a terrible predicament to be in um but they've recovered they've got some back and they're getting their way out of it so you've got to give them a lot a lot of credit are they out of it yet no but they're certainly heading in the right direction well tommy they've and got how, a- yeah and how good is rafinha but yeah you know he, he, he oh my god uh he carried that team uh, again this weekend and yeah, no, I think with with you know they need to keep him uh, for, for for all sakes and keep him fit as well. Then they've got well, I think they'll keep him till the end of the season, and then after that, yeah, it'll yeah. be very tough to keep hold of him. I think. But at least he cash but in, yeah, there. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, the, the, it works doublefold, twofold, doesn't it? The twofold is he, yeah. he helps you stay in the league. Leeds become yeah. another year in the Premier League, gain that more experience. They sell him for as much money as they could possibly get for him, and they reinvested in the squad. You know, and maybe bring two players in for that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works for those clubs. Tommy, they're in 15th position. Everton are underneath them now. Now, Everton, three points off leads. They are slowly being dragged into this relegation battle. Their football director left about two months ago. Now, Rafa Benitez has gone during the week. Um, This seems like a much bigger problem, and anyone looking in says it's a much bigger problem than the first team and then the management. How does Everton fix this at this point, and where do you see the rest of this season going? Are they seriously in a relegation battle? Oh, uh, how much time have I got? We need to get our popcorn out here. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're in huge strides. Yes, of course, uh, you know, Benitez, uh, you know, he'll be the first man to be criticized for the results. Um, he had a good start. I think we forget that he actually had a better start than, than last year, but then it's all fallen apart. He's obviously had some injuries. The Kuru, I don't think after his foot injury, has uh, he hasn't been quite the same because he was amazing before. Um, and then obviously Calvin Lewin has, has been out um, for, for, for a fair bit of the time. But there, there's so many things behind the scenes. Uh, you know, it seems like Mashiri, the, the chairman, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't have a clear philosophy. Uh, he, he seems to just be wearing, wearing as the wind blows and, and whatever comes from the fans and the media. Uh, so he's very quick on the trigger. And then obviously the the sporting directors uh, that they've got rid of as well, you know, so, uh, so there just seems internally to be a lack of uh, direction, a lack of vision. Um, and, and now you've got a squad of, of players that sort of spanned five or six managers. Uh, and again, I also think they got the seventh highest wage budget. So, so, and they're definitely not playing to that standard. So, so there, there's a lot of issues there and, and they, they probably need a total reset and a total sort of, uh, tear down, but again, in, in this day and age, uh, it's just hard to do with with the pressure from from everyone uh, on the outside. So it, it'll be so interesting to see who they get. If if it is a Rooney, if they sort of go the social way, get a get an old icon back, uh, try to to uh, to try to go down that path. But you know, like we saw with Solskjaer, you, you need someone. Um, with the right credentials, who can oversee, you know, that big, big of a job, which it, it really but is. I, I see. I think one of the issues with with Chelsea, uh, with Everton, so not Chelsea, with Everton, is that if you decide to have a, a like a sports director, right, football director, you, you've got to let them do their job, then, right, and then you've got to bring a manager that then is going to work effectively under the football director. The football director's in charge yeah. of that. He's that link up. He's the one that's speaking to the manager, seeing what plays he needs, what plays he need to go, what plays he need to come in. 
it was neither it was neither of them and they bring in someone like Rafa Benitez who's used to controlling everything wants to control everything has this authoritarian kind of approach to it and mm-hmm. it's never going to work so then they get rid of the football director or he, or he leaves because yeah. he knows it's a disaster whatever and they're neither one or the other for me if you bring in someone like Wayne Rooney you have to have a very strong very experienced sporting director who knows who knows their way around, knows how to how to be involved, knows how to run the club, knows how to I'll run a club, knows the players, has good connections, then really can get on with coaching and doing his job as a, yeah. as a coach. So, But in this country for so long, it's basically been a football manager who controls everything. Um, we saw it with our Arsenal have it a bit differently. Um, Manchester City have it, but it's still run by Pep. Everything is run by Pep. And and so it's not really one or the other. And I think that's where, especially the lesser clubs, they just don't have a clear direction as to what they want. Do they want a sports director that's in charge, doing it all, and basically employing a, a manager, a trainer, a coach, to, to coach the team, play the team, set it up, and let the sports director do his job? They, they, don't, do, they don't do one or the other. Well, uh... Yeah, but, uh so- yeah, but I, I think it's what's in, in football. I think if you're going that route with a sporting director, that, that alignment between those two is, as you said, is, is, is the crucial, yeah. <laughs> crucial ingredient. And, and, and again, they, they got rid of uh, Steve Walsh first and then Marcel Brands uh, just recently. And, and that alignment has never been there. Um, and, and that's the, the, the huge issue. And, and if, the, if you take Rooney, I, I agree with you. you. You need someone there who is aligned with, with his philosophy and who's aligned with the club's philosophy and, and, and who can work to get the players in that Rooney needs for, for whatever system uh, they agree well, on. For me, the sports director has to be aligned with the club's philosophy first and foremost, right? Yeah. So the, and the sports yeah. director is heavily involved in the appointment of the manager. Then the, then the sports director, in conjunction with the owner, of course, the, the chairman, the president, whatever it is, the, the chairman and the owner, or, or if it's the same person, once they've established their philosophy, their their playing style, the type of personality they want, then they go and select the trainer. They just don't seem to do it. They just, who's the biggest name? Who's the one that's most available? Let's get this person in and let's just, we'll patch it together. Steve Walsh was at Leicester when I was there. He was never someone that was in at the forefront. He was someone in the background just doing doing stuff, dealing, finding players, bringing players in and out, trying to work. That It was a different kind of role. So at Everton, he was never someone that was going to be at the fore, and, and he was pushed forward, and I don't think he was comfortable with it. I, thought, I think at least he was happier being in the background a little bit, just getting on with his job. And so you need to have the right sports director as well. Yeah, well, uh, Marcel Brands is probably uh, off on an island somewhere sipping cocktails, so he's not there. Wayne Rooney, if he is the man who's entrusted with the job, will have a big one on his hands. The other one's Roberto Martinez. How do we feel about him returning to the club yet again for another stint? That's probably been the biggest link to Everton. Would that be a good move? Oh, uh, I, I think they need to go to a different direction. I think the question is if, if Belgium at all wants to, to let him go. I think, yeah, why uh, would you? That, yeah. Uh, that, that's that's the first, and I, and again, you got a World Cup coming up. I think that's probably his last chance with this Belgian team to 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 go all the way. So I'm sure he'll try to hang on to that. So uh, and and again, you know, if I was an experienced, well-established manager, I would 
definitely not take the Everton job. <laughs> I think, yeah. I, think you, I think you need someone new, someone young, some someone enthusiastic, uh, someone with ambition that that see it as a great opportunity to to make you know because if you fix like Rooney comes in and he fixes this, mm. you know then uh, you know we, the, the the world is open to him. Uh, so he's got nothing to lose. Where I think Martinez going back to the club, yeah, I think it would be a, w- a wrong move. Um, so I don't think it will happen. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, Schwartz, I want to talk a little bit about the relegation battle because Watford, Claudio Ranieri, your mate, um, he's been under a fair bit of pressure and struggling to put the wins together and incredibly the schedule did give him the three relegation teams back to back to back. Now we've just heard the match against Burnley has been postponed so that'll put its own spanner in the works for Burnley who now have four games in hand but he played Newcastle, drew away from home, seems like a reasonably positive result but now he's got Norwich at home. If he doesn't win that game, Norwich seem to be the be-all and end-all. If you lose to Norwich, you don't have a job the next day. Is that Could that be on the cards for Claudio Ranieri here? I, 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 listen, I, I said it last week, I think, I can't believe he's still in his job because of his record. Was it nine had, Was it nine losses out of 11 in all comps? Um, I, I, I couldn't believe it since he's been at the club. So now he's what he's had, nine out of 12 with a draw in there. Yeah. Two wins. But the win was against United. Yeah. It was a good win. Listen, no, 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 <laughs> very good performance. And it was a very good performance away at Everton. But everything else has been mm. poor. Uh, saying that, yeah. against Newcastle, Watford were a lot better. And, and my understanding was they were the better side and, and were unlucky not to have won the game. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they also backed him in the transfer window, which tells me that, that he's still got time. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily go mm. back the manager in the transfer window and, and, and sack him after two games, would you? Mind you, it is Watford, isn't it? So that still could happen. <laughs> <You just don't laughs> uh, but... Yeah, strange. I mean, if you, you look at what they've got, they've got West Ham. So, obviously, Norwich at home on the weekend now that, now that the Burnley game's postponed. West Ham away after that. Brighton at home. Aston Villa away. And then they've got Man United at Old Trafford. So, that should be three points. But, geez, well, I mean, well, <laughs> it's a, obviously a monumental moment now for them to, to get those results. And only time will tell. And, like I said, First time that the owners at Watford have actually been a little bit patient with their decision making when it, when it comes with regards to the uh, to their to the manager. Yeah, well, I think time Tom, Tom will tell. The relegation battle shaping up to be far more interesting than the title challenge as it stands, and the top four is what we've got to have an eye on. But for now. Tommy, it is January, and January silly season in the transfer market. We've spoken already a little bit about the manager merry-go-round, which I have a feeling might kick off very soon. But let's talk a little bit about the players in, in your nation, Denmark, have been all around the rumour mill. Firstly, Christian Eriksen, who everyone I think has been waiting and hoping to see back playing professional football before the World Cup. He's been linked with a move to Brentford, and Christensen has been linked with a move to both Bayern and Barcelona as well. So it's a good time to be a Danish player. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I think they uh, deserve it. Obviously, the great news, uh, um, you know, Ericsson made uh, a, a big interview on, on Danish TV and, and explained everything and, and uh, said he was ready to go. He had the backing of the family. Uh, he, yeah, and he feels fit uh, and has uh, a big target of the World Cup. So that obviously means he needs to go somewhere. Um, mm. And yeah, there's been talks, obviously, Brentford. Um, I think uh, the rumor is there's a couple of other clubs in, in the UK that, that could be an option as well. Um, so, so I'm just happy for him that he, you know, he's ready to go in. He, you know, at, at this level, he's still got the ambition, um, you know, after whatever, you know, all that. Um, you know, disaster at, at the Euros and 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 his heart problems. So uh, hopefully, it turns out to be a great story. We'll see him for Denmark at the World Cup. Uh, and in regards to Chris, Christensen, I think you know he's one in my book one of the best defenders in, in Europe. He, he, he's maybe not the the loudest. Uh, you know, he, he just goes about his business on the pitch. He's not sort of one that catches your eye all the time, but he does his job so well. And 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 how he's progressed from. His, his loan spell at München Gladbach uh, to coming back to Chelsea, where I still thought he had an, uh, you know, a few mistakes in him. I think now he, he's found a consistency. Uh, he, he's good on the ball. He's smart. He positions him, himself really well. Uh, and if he can then grow, you know, those leadership qualities, be a little bit more vocal on the pitch. I, I think he, he he could be in the top three of defenders in, in the world. So so. For me, Barca, Bayern, he could play both places uh, without a problem. Where would, where would you like to see him go? Uh, you know, again, I would like to see him stay at Chelsea, but that, that obviously seems to be a little bit of an issue. Um, uh, Barca, I think, would, would be a, a great way for him to, to, to help establish, you know, that new sort of uh, era under Savi. I think it, it, it's, it's a great opportunity. Who wouldn't want to play for, 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 for Barca? Uh, Bayern, I, you know, looking at who they've got, I think he's better than Sule. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's, that's another option there. You, you, you're right into a winning culture, a, a winning team. Um, so, you know, it's hard. You know, it depends on, on his circumstances. But Barca would be, be, be great to see him there. Schwartz, it seems like Chelsea getting fleeced for a few of their players. As Billy, as Billy Quetz has been linked to Barca as well, Tony Rudiger has been linked to Bayern as well. So I guess uh, it could be interesting to see where Chelsea go in this transfer market. But they've got players like Saar, players like Chalabar now who have played at the back. Do you think it's time to, to kind of get rid of the, the older generation of defenders? Listen, um, I've, never been, I've never been the biggest fan of Rudiger. I'll hold my hand up. But I have also admitted that I think he's been yeah. brilliant for them in the last 12 months. He's been one of their best players. He would be a big loss, of course. But Chelsea have made it absolutely clear that they, and they have over the course of time, they'll never be held over a barrel. You know, they'll never, they'll never be held to ransom. They're, they're, they're prepared to let players go and then they'll just go spend the money to bring someone else in and replace them. If Rudiger goes, then, and, and you know, Chelsea will do that. Uh, I'm not sure about Saar. I was at the game on the weekend against Man City. I was, every time I got the ball, either took too long, um, made rash decisions, Bad decisions, his touch was poor. I know it was one game, but it was a big game. It was a moment where I think a lot of people were a little bit surprised he was playing. However, if you looked at the bench, there was no other alternatives. Um, mm. He didn't have anyone else on the bench. So maybe it was a more of a necessity, out of necessity playing him than necessarily thinking he was at that level quite quite uh, at this moment. Um, the, if, if they do get rid of him, Chelsea have been linked over the last week or two to De Ligt uh, from Juve. 
So listen, if you got rid of if you got rid of uh, Rudiger because he leaves on a free and you end up paying maybe forty fifty million for De Ligt, I think that's not a bad thing. You know, twenty one year old, twenty two year old who's got a lot to prove is is a good defender. Obviously needs fine tuning, and I think someone like Tuchel could do that with him. And then obviously Aspilicueta is one of the players that you know. You, you, as a, as a as all Chelsea fans would love to see him still at the club in one way or the other. There's, there's also a fair, fair fair share of Chelsea fans who think you know what he's been absolutely brilliant for absolute legend in the club, but it's time for him to move on. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, I think whatever happens, it won't end. In, it won't end in tears in, in any way in terms of bad relationship. It may end in tears as in because of an end of an era. Um, and I could see, I could see Aspi going to somewhere like Barcelona. I really could. Free transfer, yeah. top class player, really top pro. The type of mentality that someone like Barcelona could probably use right now as well. Um, mm. So yeah, I could see that working really, really well. Would I like to see him stay at Chelsea? Of course I would, because he's he's a top guy and a top pro. Yeah, and we, he's meant. Schwartz, you mentioned the free transfer there, Tommy. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's been, I think they're the buzzwords of the week. I've seen so many players now that are coming towards the end of their contract. And I think uh, once upon a time, maybe they would have given them, their agents, their team, would have given the club some respect to sign a contract with the intention to be sold and therefore the club cash in on them. But nowadays it seems like there's a, a very different approach. We've seen it with some superstars at the highest level of the game, uh, the Alibas and Sergio Ramos signing pre-contract agreements with six months left on their contracts. It seems to be these more experienced players and Mo Salah, Paolo Dybala, Erling Haaland, Luka Modric, all these players are in the news at the moment coming towards the end of their contracts and their clubs seem to be sweating. Do you think this is unfair on their clubs and this is the agents manipulating the market or is that just the way it is and they're the player, they're the commodity at the end of the day and go for it? Yeah, yeah no, again, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I think the best thing that happened was the Bosman ruling in, in 1985 when, when uh, I think it was 95. Um, you know, I, the big players, it obviously works in their favor because yeah. uh, they know that the big money for them is through a free transfer because mm-hmm. that's where their, their weekly wages can go through the roof because the, the other club doesn't have to pay a, a, a transfer fee. And the agents know that as well. So, you know, for, for that top 1%, the Haaland's, you know, the, you know, the, the, the players who are in, in demand by everyone, it, you know, they, they can play that game. Um, but I think for, for, for the football market in general, I think it's not really an issue. It, it, it's just those big names that, that can wield their power uh, and so can the agents and, and it, it just becomes you know this cat and mouse um, but on, on the other hand I think Haaland they, they could have sold him there was offers mm-hmm. I think last year uh, you know so you know Dortmund can't really come out and say you know <laughs> you know that we didn't have the chance to cash in they, they chose to, to keep him at the club and, and now I think it's, it's 65 million he can go for which is you know, you know, if they sell him uh, with the release clause, um, you know, so, yeah, no, I, fair play to the players. I think, uh, you know, they've earned it. They're at the top of their game. Um, so, you know, I think it's just the way the market is. And uh, we talk about the market and players that were sold. Riley McGree made his club over in the MLS money without ever playing or training a minute for them. He was signed a year and a half ago, loaned out to Birmingham and had a pretty good stint, particularly this season. And all eyes were on it. We spoke about it on the podcast. Lots of people writing that it was almost a done deal to Celtic that he was going to join Ange Postacoglu. And at the last second, Middlesbrough, former club of yours, Schwartzy, put the money down. He's signed there. 
Ange seemed quite calm in his press conference when he was asked about it. But do you, do you think that that was? Uh, it seemed like he was quite set on Riley. Do you think that was a smart move from the player to choose English Championship football rather than play for a club like Celtic? On the face of it, you would say probably no. But we don't know the ins and outs. We don't know the conversation that Riley McGree's had with Ange. Um, yeah. You'd like to think. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's a financial aspect that comes into it. I'm sure that there is also uh, game time, the possibilities of game time probably taken into consideration. Ultimately, what the final decision or how the final decision came about, only Riley McGree can answer that one. Um, but I, I would probably think that Middlesbrough is going to be guaranteed, not guaranteed, guaranteed, but most likely going to play every week, right? At Celtic, that's not yeah. the case. So maybe he in person himself said, right, you know what? Even though as big a club as Celtic is and the op- wonderful opportunity would be play European football, I still think I've got time on my hands. I've still got an opportunity and I know I need to play games because that's what I did at, at Birmingham. He knows he can play well in the championship. Now he's taking a step up being at, uh, at Middlesbrough and, and he, he gets himself effectively in the shop window again because let's not forget, Middlesbrough not, you know, I know Celtic are... Uh, kind of a selling club when it comes to players leaving and going to the next step up into the Premier League Middlesbrough are more so that and and other clubs yeah. will be able to buy you from, from Middlesbrough as well um, so oh, it's a hard one you know from the outside on paper a lot of people are going mad probably but there's so many different reasons why he probably came to this outcome Tommy looking at it for an Australian player not so much Riley McGree but let's say you you were the agent of a young Australian player at this point. Would you rather them playing for a mid-table championship club or a Scottish club like Celtic who's going to be playing European football? I think 10, 20 years ago, this would have been an easy answer. But the way football's gone, the way finances have gone, and, and I guess the way the landscape and the exposure of the championship is, has that changed now? Would you rather your player go to second tier in England rather than playing for one of the top two sides in Scotland? Yeah, no, I think it, it all comes down to what what Swartz said. What 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 is the small print in in uh, you know in the talks between uh, you know Celtic and uh, and McGree? Because on paper, yes, uh, I would go to Celtic if yeah. if I was guaranteed playing. Um, but but I looking at my own career, I, I had opportunities to to go to to Manchester United as a possible third choice. When I then ended up joining Sunderland for the for the sole reason because I was going to play, and that, they were in the Championship. And I think had I chosen. The other way around, my career probably wouldn't have, 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 have been as good. I could have been frozen at Man United for 10 years and, <laughs> and never really played at a high level. So, you know, so sometimes you've got to make those tough decisions. Um, and, and he's still a young player. If he goes to Middlesbrough, has success, you know, there, there'll be opportunities in the Premier League. Uh, you know, so, so he's, I presume he's betting on himself, him and his agent, betting on him doing well there and, and then taking that next yeah, step. I think that's what it is, isn't it? Backing yourself. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think we see enough of it these days. Certainly with, we talk about Aussie players coming overseas, it's, it's easy to pick that, for, not even just Aussie players, for any player. It's easy to pick the best name, the biggest club, if that's what you're, you know, mm-hmm. the options are. But with that comes the more difficulty of actually making into the first team, actually playing, how many games you're going to play, how much involvement you're going to have, and you could end up as dead wood in the background. You know, you could be part of the furniture. Whereas, put yourself out there, put yourself in the shop window. It's a step up. He's got to roll his sleeves up. He's got to work really hard. He's got to perform. And if he performs, it won't take long before he gets interest from elsewhere. And then, 
he'll be able to take that step up with the 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 opportunity to be a regular somewhere and be someone's big money signing back yourself mm. Definitely. Well, there you go. Back yourself is the words from Mark Schwarzer. Listen to it, young Aussie players. Tommy, I'm very glad you didn't join Man United. Uh, can I just say I, I'm, I'm personally very happy because that's that, that would have hurt me if you ended up being a Man United uh, legend or third keeper. Either way, I'm glad you didn't, and I think you are too. What a career you ended up having choosing the other route. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Portuguese players because uh, this morning Wolves announced a new signing. It's Chiquinho, another Portuguese player at Wolves. The takeover continues over there, but uh, I bring that up because you talk about backing yourself and taking a punt. Remember what Ruben Neves did when when he went from being the most sought-after young talent in the world. A year later, he signed for Wolves in the championship, and it worked out for him. So let's hope something similar happens with Riley McGree. We're going to stick with the Portuguese and go to Manchester United, the club that Tommy could have played for and talk about Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo these two superstars of the Premier League and uh, alarming stat came out during the week because Bruno Fernandes without Ronaldo scored a double really steered United to what looked like it was going to be a victory ended up being one point against Villa the stats are that he's got five goals in four games when Ronaldo doesn't play he's got two in 15 when Ronaldo plays. And I did some some digging into their Portuguese career together as well. Euro qualifiers and the Euro itself. Ronaldo scored 11 during qualifying, five during the tournament, none of which combined with Bruno Fernandes. Bruno had one goal in that entire campaign as well. And again, did not combine with Ronaldo for it. Can they not play together, Tommy? Uh, I, I think it's a mentality thing. Um, it seems when Bruno Fernandes doesn't play with Ronaldo... He has that selfishness. He, he has that, you know, okay, I'm taking charge. I am, you know, I'm the man. You know, I need to get the goals. He, he, and, he, and he plays with just a different attitude. And whenever he plays with Ronaldo, it seems like he's he, he's more concerned about elevating Ronaldo's game than he's actually doing something for himself. Uh, and and he, he becomes more the provider. He sort of takes, he's happy to take a step into to the background a little bit. Um, and I don't know if that if that's the right attitude. You know, he he needs to to you know to pick up his game, and and uh, you know he needs to you know he needs to step up when Ronaldo is on the pitch because on paper it should be a, a, a match made in heaven. Yeah. Uh, you got two you know uh, two great players um, with with all the credentials, um, but but I think I don't know if if if, if Bruno Fernandez feels he owes. Ronaldo a bit from from previous where Ronaldo has sort of looked after him um, and and he's sort of he's scared of Ronaldo in 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 some aspects because it definitely looks like that on the pitch and 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 as you said the the stats uh, speaks for the, for themselves and and whenever Ronaldo is not there he he, he plays a different game so yeah no I don't think it comes down to tactics I, I think it comes down to to Bruno Fernandez's mentality and uh, and the way he goes about things. Schwartzy, you look at the Bundesliga, you look at Bayern Munich, and I see how Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski have now teamed up incredibly this season. They lead the Bundesliga in goals and assists, and both of them hit amazing milestones. Muller, 150 assists, Lewandowski, 300 goals on the weekend. It almost looks like that dynamic of a player playing behind a number nine, it should work like that with Bruno and Ronaldo. Instead, everyone that plays out wide has incredible assist stats with Cristiano Ronaldo in the last five years, because balls into the box, header, goal. Is that what 
is killing Bruno Fernandes. This new style of Ronaldo, target man, get balls in the box, is killing him when he needs more of a link-up player. Yeah, a bit of both, I think. Um, I think there's... You, you, you talk about Miller and Lewandowski. They've been doing that for years, by the way, as well. I know this season's mm. been really good again. They've been doing that for a number of years now. So the, the relationship is obviously excellent. The understanding is excellent. Um, there's no intimidation. I don't, neither of them feels inti- intimidated by the other or feels like they owe the other anything. And I yeah. think that's like what Tommy was alluding to is the fact that Bruno Fernandes seems like he maybe feels like he owes him something. Maybe I think maybe he feels intimidated by him. I don't know. Maybe it's the case also it doesn't suit the way Bruno Fernandes wants to play. Um, Ronaldo doesn't want to be that player, like you said, that maybe you bounce passes off. He wants to get the ball out wide, whip it in, and that's completely against what Bruno Fernandes does, really. So, yeah, it, it probably is a combination of things. Those stats are pretty damning stats as well, if you think about it. Um, that's pretty severe. And you look at how good Bruno Fernandes was um, before Ronaldo arrived at the club to, to what he's like now. Um, he's a shadow of himself. Um, yeah, it must be a worry because... Ronaldo is one of those people is all consuming. He's such a mega star, yeah. right? And I think the 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 pressure around everyone is so enormous and the pressure that he puts on everyone else is enormous that some people can handle it and so only I think it looks like only so many only a few players at United can handle it and it looks like the vast majority of them struggle with it. Mm. But but I also think that you know tactically I think we saw against Villa with Fernandez playing in a more central role, I think that suits him a lot better than, than playing out wide. Uh, so, so I think Ranić, uh, you know, I think hopefully saw something. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe let him drop a little bit deeper um, and 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 be that instrumental uh, player um, that he can be and, and get him on the ball uh, a lot more. But it more. should work. Uh, I think it, it is a better better way. It should yeah, work with Ronaldo as well. It, it, it should work. It, so then, is Ronaldo stubborn yeah, yeah. and doesn't want to play that way? Uh, who knows? I, I, we don't know. We're, we're just trying to find something here, and I don't know. We're we're we're, we're trying to <laughs> trying to trying to si- you know siphon through all all the mess. Well, it's not it's not for us to figure out. It's for us to sit back, watch, and enjoy whatever happens. United play twice in the, in a matter of days. They take on Brentford and West Ham, and all the football kicks off tomorrow on Optus Sport. Brighton travel. Uh, Sorry, Brighton hosts Chelsea uh, and Tottenham as well. Got a couple of big fixtures coming up. They've got to travel to Leicester and travel to Chelsea in the next five days. And, and that all comes before the Premier League takes a bit of a week off. So it's a busy season here. Wouldn't be surprised if some clubs are, are writing letters and writing emails to try and get a couple of games postponed. We have one postponed tomorrow, but let's hope we get plenty of football here on Optus Sport. The show starts tomorrow morning. And guys, I want to finish on a, on a light note because just on that team that United are playing, they're playing West Ham. They lost on the weekend, but they've been brilliant this season. And I think Bowen has been in the centre of it. Lots of people are saying he, he's, he's England call-up. He's way overdue. He's 25 years of age as well. He's still young, but he's not, he's not a kid anymore. And I thought, let's have a little bit of fun. We played start bench cell a few weeks ago with Schwartzy, and, and, and Bridgie was absolutely hammered by on social from everyone on Optus Sports. So this time I'm going to play Gareth Southgate edition. Start, bench, drop. And your players are Emil Smith-Rowe, Connor Gallagher, Jared Bowen. Ooh, I see some thinking faces uh, here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I think Bowen has been in, in fantastic form. Um, you know, but he's also up against, you know, a lot of players who are established. Um, but, you know, um, I think he's definitely pushing. Uh, and Gallagher as well. I think, you know, he... he 
you know, people were starting talking about, you know, Lamp him and Lampard, I think, uh, mm -hmm. and, and he sort of dismissed that a little bit, which, which was probably a, a wise decision. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it, I think that's the exciting thing about English football at the moment is that where if you go back 10 years, they, they were struggling to put 11 players on the pitch, but now mm -hmm. the, the, the youth talent that are coming through, um, you know, they could field three teams with, with players. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really want to be Southgate because he, mm -hmm. he, he's got those questions to answer every single time. Yeah. Uh, and, and also for, for the established players in the team, you know, they, they're, they're getting, you know, you know, pushed all the time by the media as well to, um, to perform and, and, and question as well. I love you, Tommy, but there's no sitting on the fence here. It's Bowen, Smith-Rowe and Gallagher. Schwartz, I see your thinking face on. You even had a pen and paper there next year. Have you made a decision on this one? Um, yeah. Go on. I'm going to say I would. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave Bowen out altogether. Oh. And, 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 and that's really okay. harsh. Absolutely. I'm going I'm <laughs> to criticise myself for doing it. I can't believe I've done that. Because he's been absolutely outstanding for West Ham. He really has. But the future is Smith Rowe and Gallagher. That's the future. Wow. I'm looking long term. And I'm saying I would play Gallagher and I would bench Smith Rowe because Smith Rowe has become a bit of a superstar, uh, super sub for Arsenal. Yeah. And I think he very much could do that for England as well. So Conor Gallagher on current form. <sighs> Yeah, I, 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 I just, I think he's just going to give you that little bit more, certainly work rate and defensive side of things, but also the ability to get box to box, that Lampard-esque kind of player. Bowen's a fantastic player. He's been brilliant. Um, I just don't know how long that's going to last, whereas Gallagher, I think, has got a huge future. There you go. Tommy, do you agree uh, okay. or would you, would you change it up? No. You know, okay. I'll, I'll stop sitting on the fence on this one. Uh, <laughs> No, I'll swap uh, Smith Rowe and Bowen. Um, I, I think um, you know. I just you know. I, for me, you got to look at the present. I, I think as a national team manager, yeah, you can try to build for the future, but it's it's, it's different now. So, if I was Southgate, yeah, I'll take Bowen instead of Smith Rowe. There you go. Love a disagreement here on the Gagan Pod, but we we all agree on Conor Gallagher. What a superstar he is, and both of you. Reckon that he would start. It's hard to agree with that one. What a player he's been. Guys, uh, thanks so much for joining me. And thank you all for listening on to the Gagan Pod. If you've made it through the full hour with us three, then I commend you. And we'll see you next week to try and dissect all these football as well. There'll be two matches for a lot of clubs before the next time we meet. So it could be a very different discussion. Transfer rumours and all the rest as well to wrap up next week on the Gagan Pod. Hopefully Bridgie recovers in time and he joins us as well, guys. Thanks. Who? Who? Exactly. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next week for some more Gag and Pods.